When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. <laughs> How are you, Rob? I am feeling like I have purpose and I am good. driven and good. I am passionate. Ooh. And you and I are definitely art geeks and I mm-hmm. have a feeling that our wonderful guest today is also a bit of an art geek. I think she's yes. actually cooler than us, way cooler Yes, than us. an art but, geek trio. Yeah, but she is very inspiring human being. She mm-hmm. has studied art history and is an art mm-hmm. critic and curator mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. has even put on exhibitions all over London in different venues. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's only 26. An yeah, I know, or 27, yeah, 26, 27. We'll have to ask, actually. We'll have to check. But at the age of 20. Our guest wrote for the Financial Times and mm-hmm. she's a sort of major achiever in the art world and we are both big fans of, of hers. And recently our guest wrote an amazing article in The Independent which is partly how this episode has materialised because we yeah. were so inspired by her writing. So yeah. we would like to welcome to talk art Andrea, Andrea Emelife. <laughs> how are you? Hi. I'm great. How, I'm how old very are you? Happy this morning. How old good. am I? I'm yeah. 26. So oh, I'm like, sorry, you I, were I wrong, Rob. You were, you were <laughs> aging her up. That was me. I know. You can't add years on me like that. <laughs> it's, yeah, sorry, it's Rob. It was Rob. It wasn't me. How are you today? Where are you today? Where are you in the world? I'm, I'm at home. I'm in London. And mm-hmm. I'm feeling really sort of inspired as well. I enjoyed your intro. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. And I feel like the world is opening up. And it's been a good week. How about you guys? The same. I feel like for the art world, it feels like it's opening up. We're on. We're yeah. into uh, the start of July and now getting uh-huh. notifications and emails every day that the Tate's opening up and the Barbican's opening up and the Whitechapel. And it feels like the um, art world, the museums, the culture is starting to ease off. And that's a really exciting time, and especially for you being an art critic and an art writer. Yeah. Right? This is probably the biggest the longest time I've gone without seeing art and it's really strange because I was still writing and researching and reading but there's just a real different sense of how you relate to art where you can't see it it's weird working in the art world when art isn't available um does it exist when we're not looking at it you know do you hear a tree fall if you're not near it exactly (laughs) did you check out all the (laughs) <laughs> did you check out online shows and how did you feel about like the art I fairs did, online? I, and... did, I did a bit. Um, I found the art fairs a bit 
uh, a bit difficult. And I mean, online viewing rooms are just, it's just not the same. And even some things that lend itself to the medium of technology, like digital art, I just feel like it's not intended for my 15 inch screen. I think it really yeah. is way more contemplative when it's in a room on your own and it's almost like going to church and you're seeing like a, an amazing um, video. Although I did enjoy watching Arthur Jaffer's Lover's Message film when it was yes. screened across all the um, all the museums. Platforms, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. That was and also, and very I, I think... necessary for what's going on now. Yeah, definitely. I also feel like it's so difficult to sort of understand what a painting is if you're seeing it or, or, or even a sculpture or any, any artwork, really, if you're seeing it just through a screen because artwork kind of sometimes has an aura about it, you know, like a energy. energy. Or a, yeah. yeah, and I, I just think yeah, it, I, I found it feeling. very um, frustrating, like all the online viewing rooms. But you, you're an art advisor too, especially. Though. Yeah, a bit. So I do that a little, a little bit because I'm really interested in emerging artists and I really mm. enjoy... Uh, bringing that to life for people that um, don't know so much about it or uh, I guess a bit, have a bit of a disconnect to it. Um, there's some amazing art being created um, at the moment and I guess it's also excited me because they're most, they're, a lot of them are my peers. So I love championing them and mm. uh, I think there's going to be a really good resurgence of a couple of new mediums coming up. So, yeah. Mm. Because everyone's been quite busy during lockdown too. Right, right. Yes. I mean, have you been watching your mm -hmm. friends get really um, proactive in this period, like artistically and really channel anxieties into the work? Do you feel like their work's changing and it's going to be more politicised or? Yeah, I mean, I've seen artists work in different mediums because of, um, you know, studio restraints, which I think is quite interesting because there's this mm. idea of change and sort of disruption catalyzing new thought. And so mm. I've had you know, friends that are sculptors um, who can't make these sort of really large kinetic um, machines. My friend Harrison Pierce does this stuff. And he's taken to painting. Um, and I think there's something that um, is exciting about, you know, approaching new mediums and new ideas um, in, a, in a different way, especially when it's uh, come across uh, very organically. Uh, I've also seen artists... Um, uh, engage with what's going on now as well. Uh, one of my good friends, Ollie Epp, has been making paintings about the quarantine um, when that oh, was great. more prevalent in the beginning, which was interesting. Mm. Um, and I've been following some other artists like Mark Quinn, I saw, was doing a series on, uh, it was a viral painting. So it was looking at all the newspaper articles and blowing them up into sort of three meter size paintings. Um, which I found really interesting because I think during this time we've all been kind of glued to our phones looking at the news updates, whether yeah, it's um, yeah. what's going on with the health crisis or what Britney's been doing in burning down her gym. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> those paintings um, reference all of that and um, the sort of social zeitgeist that's been going on because it's quite an incredible time. And I think looking back, there will be, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what has come from this time and how it's encapsulated in art history. Yeah, definitely. Totally. totally. And actually, talk, mm. talking about um, Ollie Epp, who you just mentioned, aren't you involved yeah. with like a residency? Yeah. So me and Ollie, he's one of my good friends, and we ran a residency last year, um, and it was really incredible. It was part of my sort of uh, 
pledged to emerging artists and we provided free studio space for five artists every month uh, from mm. so many different countries. We had like maybe 14 different countries get involved. Um, but yeah, so we did that together. But this year, obviously, that plan's been scuppered a little bit because travel isn't possible um, yeah. so much. And yeah, it's just, it's on hold. I'd love to do it again, though. There's something really um, inspiring and warming yeah, about, uh, you know, discovering artists from other countries and then coming here and then intermingling and yeah. It's cool. That's so it's generous of you. Kind guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's really generous. So how did you, was it a success? I mean, and how, what countries were they coming from? And and it's called Unplocked um, Residency, isn't it? Plot yeah, it's called Plocked Residency. And um, it, we had maybe 14 countries as far as like Chile and Pakistan and Egypt, but as close wow. as France and Denmark and Germany and many from the States also. Uh, it was a very mixed bag every every month so we'd have sculptors mm. performance artists painters uh wow. people working in like ai um and they all just sort of shared the studio it was a bit like big brother though i quite enjoyed seeing how they get on <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and what dramas unfold and or didn't etc but um yeah i really missed it would you be, would you be like headmistress going around You'd be like headmistress going around. <laughs> I'd like popping sure in there, like, so how's everyone doing? And everyone would be panicked. Yeah. <laughs> like Simon, Cow- <laughs> Simon Cowell's turned up with the art world. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, yeah, what, is it, that. what is it What is it? about um, emerging artists for you that is is the, the route you want to get involved in the art world? Um, emerging artists, I think it's just the idea of possibility. And also it's such an exciting period of, um, I mean, of development as an artist. There's so much changing, so many ideas being bounced back and forth. I just find the in the conversations and the interchanges at that stage really interesting. There's also such a vibrancy in the artists because they're really discovering what they want to do and like their approaches um, mm. and seeing how fast they can grow as well is great. I think, yeah, that's probably the main bit. And also... Um, there's just a sort of immediacy with the work too. Like I, I, I love jumping into the studios and seeing, you know, that it's sort of outside of the market in some ways because they're just making, um, they're just making and they're not thinking so much. Like a lot of them haven't been, haven't got gallery representation. Right. So there's, yeah, there's, a, there's an immediacy and a rawness that I enjoy. And then it's also great seeing them succeed and, how that progresses but yeah there's some great artists emerging such an interesting term though because it can mean so many different things um emerging could be just out of art school we could still be emerging um sort of 10 to 20 years later so there's a big big area i know some friends who i think are definitely emerged and they would think otherwise so that's interesting too i was gonna ask if you have any favorite emerging artists yes we definitely do yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Russell and I are looking all the time. I mean, I actually bought a work yesterday um, from a charity oh. by a young. Um, is she based in London, Ross? Yeah, she's in Brixton. Sola Sola Olo What's the name? Oh, I know her. Yeah. She's great. You she's, met her. She's got yeah, such she's... a great energy. Yes, I have. She did. Um, she didn't do the residency, but she's a good friend of the residency. A lot of her friends have done it, so I've met her many times. She's, yeah, she's got great energy, and her work is brilliant. Yeah, she hmm? gave works to the She's Stephen from Lawrence originally. Foundation. Ah, yeah, brilliant, great. <laughs> yeah, Russ and Russ and I both um, got a work by her. And there's a there's a website called Auction Art, like Orc Art, 
which um, yeah. seems to sell a lot of work by younger and emerging kind of artists from colleges and things like that. Um, mm. And they're, they're doing this. Which I think will be very necessary with the, um, with the lack of uh, graduate shows this year. Yeah, exactly. Which right. is such exactly. a shame yeah. for yeah. these artists. We've but, been brainstorming, yeah. trying to work out a way to help one of the colleges in London to see whether we can do something in Margate. It's almost confirmed. I really hope it happens. So let's talk about how uh, you came to uh, massive attention of us and something that's <laughs> been a really, really important kind of uh, mission statement that uh, you wrote uh, a few weeks back um, mm. about how the art world can step up for black lives. And this piece is um, so important beautifully written, uh, powerful, and it feels like a really uh, perfect time for us to be talking about this right now. And um, yeah. yeah, so what, what, what can we do? What now for the art world? <laughs> and, and how do you feel like the art world has rallied behind the current uh, Black Lives Matters movement? And going forwards, what, what change can we hope for? So uh, to track back to the article, um, yeah. I think the article started when, I guess, after the death of George Floyd, I was I think everyone was obviously very moved and Instagram was full of videos and sort of pledges. And that was very exciting. But then I felt that it, it reunited the conversation about visibility of minorities in the art world. And so I'm a woman of colour, I'm black women and I'm a curator and a writer and all these things but I am one of very few um it's a very small pool of people and um it's something I've been thinking about for a very long time and I thought this is the right moment to um get this message across people are listening and um so I think the success of the article and it was really successful. I mean, I was so humbled by the amount of times it was shared when I when it went live. My Instagram kind of blew up a little bit. I was it was constantly being reshared. I had lots of emails and comments and that I guess confirmed that this is something that is good to talk about. But the success of the article I think hinged a lot on the great interviewees I I was able to talk to. Um, I spoke to Courtney J. Martin, who's director of the Yale Center in New Haven, who's incredibly inspiring. Um, Eva Langret, who's the artistic director of Freeze. Jose Bonsu from Tate. Um, Sapake from Ineva, which is a great institution that focuses on the visibility of Black and Asian artists within museum collections. Um, it was a great sort of learning point as well for me because I am very, I'm still new into the art world. And so there are some historical sort of um, uh, backstops and uh, points that I wasn't aware of as well in terms of how much has changed already, but still how much needs to change. Um, yeah. And something I touched upon, upon in the article, I guess the first point is art education. Um, there's not yeah. that many, there's, I mean, for art history, for example, I studied at the Courtauld. I was maybe one of five in like the last decade or longer um in the in the course which is uh, five uh people of color um and that was pretty outstanding to sorry one of five in the last that. decade yeah one of five black sorry black students not people of color yeah in the ba course at the court mm. um in the last I, I haven't decade, it, but that's I've, mind-blowing but i've spoken to many many students and they've confirmed that that is 
you know, pretty much the case. Um, If it's not that, it's very, very low. Um, But I can't speak as to after I've left, but I think it's probably not changed much. But Mm. that kind of rolls in round through many other art history degrees as well. So I guess Mm. the question is also, how do you get into an art job if you don't have the education to start with? And then I guess, how Mm. do you encourage studying art history with, um, within these demographics as well. Um, I was very lucky to fall into it because I, I don't know, I loved art history as a kid, but not really encouraged by my parents. I was just a very much an anomaly. Um, and so you I had a, you had an inspirational it, art teacher, didn't you, when you was at college? I had an amazing art teacher that really right. changed it around. But like, if I hadn't gone to that school, for example, I got a bursary to a fee-paying school. Um, if I hadn't been there, I really don't know if I would have turned into this person. Um, these sort of these action points when you're young are extremely Mm. important. And I guess, how do you visualize yourself as, I don't know, the head of Tate or the head of um, a big, or curator at museum director when you can't see them in the roles as well? Um, So it was, I've I've been talking to many people about this and, um, you know, again, how do you action it? I guess you encourage um, art uh, art history studying um, from a younger age, I guess, or I guess even just the visibility of people in those roles now is encouraging. But the first starting point, I guess, is in the new generation. And I guess that's part of what I'm really passionate about dedicating myself to is hopefully inspiring some other young black women or men yes, yes, um, yes. to get into this as well. Because as I yeah. said before, it's really difficult to imagine yourself as something if there's no... Um, yeah. sort of uh, pointer role, mod- role models or like mentors yeah. or like, it's <laughs> so cru- I feel a bit weird calling myself a role model but, no, but, you, know. but you are but you <laughs> are though Andrea you are and it's it's so crucial yeah. to have an increase in the visibility of black curators black historians black yeah. gallerists it's like so so important and so you're mm. saying like you want like can you visualize, visualize yourself as ahead of the Tate is are you are you can you can you do that? Is that a sort of world you want to go into where you want to be running a gallery or do you think you want to stay more on the journalistic side of the art world and support oh, it? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I have a lot of different ideas. I'm yeah. very much, I like wearing many hats, as you can tell. I think my, bio, my biography is always very all over the place. I would yeah. love to run an institution. Um, I have this vision of like putting like a studio museum in Harlem in London. I think that would be so yes. exciting. So I'm a, Thelma you're, Golden you're, is Thelma Go- You are like the, uh, our Thelma <laughs> Golden. That would be genius. I want to do that. She's also so chic, yeah. which is great. Um, She's awesome. But yeah, I would love to do that. Um, but yeah, so do I imagine myself as the head of tape? Not really. But do I imagine myself running a space that is, you know, encouraging... Um, amplifying voices. Art and yeah. amplifying voices. Mm. Definitely. And I think I'd also like to voice bolster that with um, my writing still because I love writing so much. Well, you're brilliant. <laughs> and so actually, I really think I could Those two skills that. can, can uh, you know, sit side by side to- totally. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's really important actually because I think that's how the vision of an organisation, you know, can be translated to, to a wider audience if you can actually write it down and explain so clearly like you write, you know, um, to, <laughs> to, to, to an audience. Um, there was a part of your article in The Independent that I... I was really touched by, which was Courtney J. Martin, the director of the Yale Center for British yeah. Art in Connecticut. And you interviewed Courtney and Courtney said this 
this thing about cultivating successors. So like current museum leaders, current gallery directors, you know, all different people in the art world should Mm. be cultivating their successors. And your successors need to be from different backgrounds and, you know, a wide range of people because otherwise that if, if, if you don't have that kind of plurality of people then nothing's going to change but it'll just stay stagnant and I found that quote so kind of striking in the sense that that is what we need to do now we don't just need to like be posting um images on social media because actually yes it shows that you're aligned to a cause and that you you are standing in solidarity and of course it's important to speak up like that but I actually think to bring about long-term change we have to actually change the structures of all these organizations and I think mentorship and you know um, things like that are just so key yeah no I mean I completely agree when I spoke to Courtney I was like this has hit the nail on the head completely Um, Mm. because I mean there's been some great initiatives to come out of what's going on now like a lot of I mean I've seen some scholarships like there's one at Listen Gallery to help um, black students study at Columbia and Mm. there's like some from like a gallery called Costiao who's doing a a sort of a scheme to um, uh, give a scholarship to some black students as well and whilst that's incredible putting your money where your mouth is is great but you know, but mentorship is free anyone can do it and i think i like i love the idea of r- removing the sort of competitive nature of these roles and sort of you know looking towards a successor and cultivating the next generation as you're doing it is such a forward-thinking move um if every director of every institution identified somebody that they they really believed in and cultivated them. Imagine what the art world would look like in as soon as 20 or 30 years. Um, I have, I think it would be amazing. I hope that this, that message comes through yeah. to a lot of people. It's also exciting. Um, it is. I, I mean, yeah. and you can do it at so many different stages. You can, I mean, I can start doing it at my very early stage. If there's like a student um, at the court old or whatever, I would love to do that. Um, there's like a sense of giving back that I think is important. And I think sometimes mm. we forget that sense because we're in, especially in the art world, but career-wise, you're always jumping towards your next hurdle and trying to sort of usurp, or not really usurp, but like take over. Um, totally. So then there's a lot more to be said about sort of bringing other people along and creating real change. I also feel like in order to reflect the world we live in right now like you have to have that change because otherwise museums and galleries are going to be completely irrelevant to the audience Mm. you know because the audience now has changed you know we we are all thinking differently and like you know the younger generations you know even the generation younger than you say like they completely (laughs) think differently do you know what I mean on all kinds Mm. of issues and they're way more politically engaged they are not going to go to the Tate anymore they're not going to go to these museums if if they don't catch up you know all of these different institutions and that was really yeah, but- shown during the recent protests, like seeing all these young people really politically engaged, know their facts with these signs. I was like, these are pe- these people aren't going to be going to um, these institutions if they don't reflect on what's going on. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just about recontextualizing the narrative going forwards, and it, yeah. it makes me think of like artists like Jordan Castile who's got a massive show mm. at the New Museum and who uh, her main drive, one of her main drives for creating work and, and making these figurative works of people in her community is to see them on gallery walls. And she, her mantra is literally like, if art's for everyone, then everyone needs to be seen within art. You have to see yourself up there yeah. to know yourself. 
And that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the importance and that's the responsibility of um, the art world now any, or anyone in culture to show that diversity. Yeah, and museums sort of, I've read lots of uh, reports and like museums complaining about demographics not being diverse enough and I don't see why they don't see the connection between yeah. if they can't see themselves on the walls, there's, you know, there's still that sense of, I know there's a lot of people that find art quite difficult to approach because there's all these sort of pre-doctrine sort of ideas of how you're supposed to appreciate art, how you're supposed to exist within the museum space and breaking that down and creating something a bit more inclusive and um, a bit more familiar for many people will mm. be a great way to get different people through the doors and continue to get people through the doors as the generations change. Mm. Well, you said in your article about how some institutions you felt took uh, too long to respond to the Black Lives mm. Matters after George Floyd's death, and you say that yeah. some still haven't. And there's a term in there called yeah. virtue signaling, which I've seen, yeah. it's kind of become the zeitgeist phrase that I see around a lot. What what yeah. exactly is that, and and how how do you feel like these institutions are backtracking, or are they coming to the forefront now? Or do you feel like there's a that they're it's working that people are saying to them, "Come on, sort yourself out." I think in the beginning there was probably a bit of uh, a knee jerk reaction because um, they I think in the beginning there was. People didn't know how to engage with what was going on, whether it was their place, especially their commercial galleries. I think the mm. argument they would say is that then they're not cultural institutions, they're just, you know, commercial galleries. Do they need to respond? And I think it became very clear after many other galleries um, taking this on that it's something they need to do. The idea of virtue signaling, I think, is more them posting something because everyone else is doing it. And if they don't do it, they look bad. If all the mm. galleries in London are posting solidarity and you don't and you post because yeah. everyone else is doing it is it really really solidarity um and so that's what the, that was the main point there's still a few places that have commented i don't know the politics of each place and i can't really get into uh analyzing each um sort of institution but i think that's the idea of virtue signaling and that but i think a lot of people have been roused by the conversation and what might have started as okay, we need to get this up because this is what's going on now and this is what we're doing, has moved on to conversations of actually let's let's try and do something. And within the weeks since um, the article's been published, I've, I've spoken to some people at auction houses, at galleries, who've asked mm. me about how they think they should be um, sort of uh, instituting change within their institutions. And I've also known other people who have been speaking. They've been reaching out as well and I do think that there is a change that's going to happen um yeah. or at least I hope so but um yeah I don't know this movement feels different to I mean Black Lives Matter happens uh well it's always happening they always matter yeah. but the movement um happened when with Trayvon Martin maybe four years ago yeah. and that I just didn't stick as much as I feel the conversations are sticking now um I'm intrigued about why that is the case I have a theory that COVID has sort of made everyone realize that it's been an equalizer and there's been a sort of sense of compassion that um has roused well, in everyone this everyone's idea on the same page suddenly everyone's everyone's yeah. experiencing this we will have a common denominator now which we never really had before of this yeah. thing that has united the whole planet so it does then feel like we're all the fucking same so why can't I also we all... just yeah. i also just feel that people weren't as distracted because i think 
if you actually think about how busy everyone's everyday life is and how, yes, you pick up the newspaper if you're in London on the train, for example, on the tube, and you see everyone reading the newspaper. But a lot of the time, people just don't actually want to have to confront difficult issues that deeply. They kind of want to know what's going on and then they want to go and get their coffee or they want to go to work or they've got a million things going on. And I think having Mm. that, that kind of time to slow down and kind of actually have to face yourself in your house for months on end, like has Mm. meant that people are responding to this differently without a doubt i mean um because you know it's i definitely don't think it's a coincidence no no definitely not ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com The other thing that I found really fascinating in your article was this idea of, I think, the black artist's and modernism national collection audit Uh that happened when when did it happen was it a few years ago or something it was i can't remember the date off the top of my head but like maybe uh within the last decade it happened okay yeah so they they did a kind of analysis of all the uk's permanent collections and they found only two thousand works by black artists um but the it wasn't only kind of disappointing that there's so few works by black artists in UK permanent collections, but it was also the idea that most of these 2000 works aren't even on display. And how the hell mm. is anything yeah. going to change if there's no canon of black art? And, you know, we recently interviewed Labena Hamid and she spoke about the challenges she's experienced for the last kind of almost 40 years now. Mm. And she's a total pioneer in, you know, in so many ways. And I was touched by her kind of dis- discussion with us about, um, how curators often might want to invite a black artist to, you know, be seen in a in an exhibition, but then they'll never mm. ask you to go for coffee or they'll never, you know, say, let's go for lunch. And without actually getting to know engaged. artists on a personal level and engage with their lives, you're not actually going to fully understand the art or the capability or possibility of what these artists, you know, what, what artists are actually able to create. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, I feel maybe there's a, I don't know whether there's a, a disconnect or a fear of, of some for some artists or not artists curators about how to engage in these topics but I think this is something that is going to be changing now I mean we've seen reading lists like uh the uh, the book of why I'm not talking about uh, talking to white people about race well that mm-hmm. is yeah. soared to the top of the bestseller I think people hopefully are starting to educate themselves in um issues of race and I think yeah. with yes. that hopefully more conversations and more um, intelligent cur- curation and involving of black artists within exhibitions should happen um, because there's also I mean a lot of people will sort of say okay let's get more black curators to curate black art 
but that's a bit too simple. I think that there should be also um, other curators should be interested in um, in issues of race or as a black curator, I would love to curate other shows as well about other topics yeah. too. I think yeah, totally. I understand the exactly. idea of yes. creating a black scholarship, but I think it should eventually become a bit more intermingled. And I get the sort of idea that because I'm black, I have the sort of sens- sensitivity and knowledge of, of of being black to understand black art, but kind of. I mean, I'm still just a girl from London. <laughs> I don't know everything about black history too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's also a conversation of why, of, of what, who approaches issues of race. Can white artists mm-hmm. paint black people? I mean, people have asked me that a lot. I think it's a duty as an ally to sort of um, engage with what's going on currently. Um, so but then some other people might disagree. Um, yeah. It's, it's still a very, I think we're still learning and trying to figure out what is okay and what is necessary. But I think Mm. the main point should be that we shouldn't, we should make mistakes and learn. And I also think it's really important not to just shut things down because there's been this Mm. whole kind of cancel culture in the last, you know, five years or so where things just get (laughs) shut down. And I feel like if an artist is going to show solidarity and togetherness through their work, you know, in the idiom of what they do, then, and mm. you know, and it's true to it and it doesn't seem cynical. And if they're trying to, like, I don't know, raise money for charities or or just even show that, you know, solidarity in itself, it's really important because different artists have different audiences, which will then be educated, mm. you know. But I, the other yeah, thing I find exactly. really interesting is um, is this thing of, like, if you think at the moment of, like, uh, the kind of black artists that we're getting to see in museums, uh, the, the vast majority of them are often making figurative art, which, you know, are kind mm. of, um, you know, depicting black people um, actually figuratively in the paintings. But then there's also mm. loads and loads and loads and loads of black artists, you know, from the UK alone, who are making work that you never see a figure in and and yeah. make all kinds of work, abstract art, you know, video art, all and kinds of art. people are very surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, but it's not which surprising. Which I think is very interesting. Like, yeah, and that's also what I think galleries, commercial galleries need to get their head around, is that you can't just yeah. sort of represent, you know, a figurative painter. You, you need to sort of approach all artists in, you know, artists make all kinds of work and that all needs yeah. to have a platform. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, I think I touched on this on the in the article too, or maybe I spoke to, I think Eva Langret posted, um, wrote about it, about how there's this sort of idea of black figuration existing within the art world. Actually, no, it's Ose Bonsu. And because it is part of the canon of art history, like figuration is probably uh, the, the most focal, most identifiable aspect yes. of painting for most people. And so for many, just changing that and editing it by, you know, by changing the colour of the skin is probably the easiest access point for many. But I think it's more challenging and more more rewarding in general to understand that you could be a black artist and not make art about being black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and it's and okay. if you think of someone like, I don't know, like Frank Bowling, for example, who makes abstract yeah, painting, like how <laughs> yeah. me too. And I've had the privilege to work with him in the last year and um we're working again together at the moment. And he's just so visionary and so he was so kind of singular in many ways because in the sixties, you know, when he was studying at um the Royal College, like he was pretty much one of the only black artists there. And I, I love I, I love the fact that he kind of dedicated his life to what he loved, which was abstract painting, you know. And and anyway, that's just one tiny element. And I don't mean to minimise figurative 
art either because of course yeah. it, like you say it's in- I mean, incredibly, incredibly important doing that but <laughs> yeah but in the last year you know Imra Bassia Khan's installation at Chisenhale and at Derry and uh, Void in Derry like that there was no figuration in that exhibition but yeah. the yeah. combination of materials the whole concept behind it was to do with the bodies and marginalized voices and all of these topics but through a completely kind of abstracted you know sculptural installation in a way and that was one of the most powerful things i've ever seen in art so yeah that's all i'm trying to say is that i think well, you look at like you look in the states for like there's a lot of artists in the states that are really and this seems like a, there's a bit of a there's a better support system as well for black artists in the states through artists like kahindi wiley has the black rock mm. uh, senegal residency yeah. and there's there's all these things and there's a lot of artists out there like say mark bradford who is making these incredible works? Glenn Ligon, who again oh, are making work that, that aren't yeah that aren't figurative, but they're just yeah. It, it's yeah it's it's really important. But it would be amazing if we could have more um, residencies here like they do in the yeah. states. Do, can you see that happening more? I think it. Sh- I mean, I think it should happen more. I think I've been thinking about the difference between America and the UK in terms of black art. I think yeah. a lot of the names of a lot of the names that I've been sort of coming across in my sort of in my research and um, my revisiting of artists, there's a lot more American ones. And I know it's, it's yes. a bigger place, and there's there was a different there's diff, there was a different movement. But I think the reception and sort of the prolificness of black art is bigger in America. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to see it translate more to the UK, which is why exactly. I want to start a studio museum in Harlem in the UK. <laughs> so this is something um, you're definitely like focus this is something that you have to focus on and this and when can um, you see this sort of happening and coming together because this residency you set up with Oliette, the plop residency yeah. seems incredible and i guess that's just the next transition right yeah i mean i've been thinking so much about how i would love to sort of action my own change and i've been thinking about curatorial projects, which I'm starting to get into conversation with in, you know, when things can start happening properly. Um, but I would, I think from what I've been speaking, what, from my conversations with artists, black artists, what we need is more black spaces. And yes. that is something that I think is a important and something I'd love to get engaged, I'd love to engage with. Um, there are spaces to see black art in London and specifically, and ones that are definitely more akin to allying with that sort of vision. Like, like where would they be for people to find? Uh, South London Gallery does really great yep. um, stuff to that respect. Chisholm mm-hmm. also, I mean, the director Zoe Whiteley is incredible and yeah. um, engages with these topics regularly. Yep. Um, those are probably the two main things. Um, Two main spaces I would point people well, to. Well, Camden Art Centre's um, done. Camden Art Centre has been really supportive. Like Cara Walker's had shows there, and oh yeah, very true. Walter Price. They have residency. Walter Price is another uh, African American artist that had a residency there recently. I think yeah, um, Camden Cam- needs Camden. more sort of recognition than it gets as well. It's such yeah. a great space. Yeah, those spaces are brilliant. Um, but yeah, I have this sort of maybe it's a mad dream, but I would love something like Student Museum Harlem in London because not only do they do great shows but they produce incredible academics like this Legacy Russell who I'm obsessed with who's the associate curator and she does some everything she does I'm like okay wow Cool. She's awesome. (laughs) I used to know her when she was in London uh, actually. She's so cool. Yeah she used to do stuff here. I don't think that's a dream, though. I think that can be a reality. And where there is a permanent collection 
of mm. rotating black British art. And then you have the residencies there for yeah. British UK based black artists to or, or international to go and live in London and study and be be surrounded mm. by that. I think that's not a dream. I think that has to be reality. And I think that is exactly wow, what you should you heard be doing. It here first. <laughs> yes, well, but I think that's the what you should be doing. Then. Yeah, I, well, I think it should be. I don't see why that can't be a, a, a thing that's going to happen in, in yeah. the near future. I think it would really also change people's perceptions of what Black British art could be. Exactly. What it, what, how it can change, how it can develop. It's visibility. I mean, that's what it I needs know, to be. Are, yeah, many of the artists I know quite had interesting experiences at art school because the visibility isn't there as well. Um, it would be a great support network and also a great sort of hub for thinking and change. Okay, I'll do It'd it. It'd be inspiring. <laughs> if you're like a, place, a place that all it, it's champions everything and, it, and it's like a, an inspiring space that, again, mm. it's like mentorship, seeing figures within the art world. But if you see a space that is predominantly uh, there to celebrate black art, black culture, then you've got this, mm. you go like, well, I can be in there. That's where I want to be. I want to be doing that. I want to be on the wall in there. That's that's. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's that's what needs to happen now. Oh, I'm read up. That's I, it. I'm, I I'm into it. You're like, all right. No, no, I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Um, mm-hmm. How do? Because I I noticed that you were obviously very strong individual. Like I feel like you've got um, <laughs> you. a real strength of character that you seem to have had from a very young age. You know, you wrote in the Financial mm-hmm. Times at the age of twenty, and I heard mm-hmm. you describe yourself once as precocious. Which um, yeah. I thought it was actually quite funny in a way because you do have this kind of very um, strong confidence. Can you give any advice to like other people who might struggle with public speaking or even just kind of, you know, getting how they feel out into the world? Because I, I think you're, you're obviously a very unique person, but I also feel like you've probably like grown all those skills and developed them. It's definitely developed. I can also be quite shy as well, which is, is people find quite surprising. Um, I think there's something that sort of I can light switch and then be like, you know, bubbly, Andrea, and then sort of can also be quite introverted in my reading. But in terms yeah. of uh, owning what you want, I think it's just, uh, where does it come from? It comes from just, I guess, realizing that, that, that it's, I don't know why it's been drilled into us like we should maybe be a bit more ashamed about being so forthcoming with what we desire and what we'd like to achieve. Um, I, I think we're, I don't know how, but we're taught this sort of, oh, you must wait. Be or humble. Pay your dues yeah. or be That's humble. That's the British thing. It's a little British. British because when I'm in That's America, poly- I'm yeah. like, oh, wait. No. <laughs> well, in, well, we <laughs> go to America and we're like, whoa, it. all right, big Ed. We're like, we're like <laughs> exactly. chill out. But, but here it's yeah. Yeah, but here it's like you don't what you can't you gotta hide your light under a bushel is what they say. It's like yeah. you just have and to sort of like stay humble. Quietly yeah. sort of wait. But um yeah. I just sort of was like, no, I don't I mean I'm also a bit impatient sometimes, so I was like, I'm not waiting. Um Good. and the only the only thing that the only bad thing that can happen is someone says no and then you move on. Yeah. Um I guess the biggest hurdle I guess is not getting being offended when someone says no. Um, and once you get over that, then you can just keep asking. Yeah. Um, and if you ask enough, someone's going to say yes. And that's kind of what happened with um, Financial Times. I just emailed in, emailed twice. Um, and then, <sighs> um, I mean, luckily I'm a good writer, so that also helps. But yeah, um, yeah I just was very forthright with um, being ambitious. And I think not enough people are. And some people find that charming. Some people might find it annoying. 
but um, hopefully most people find it charming um about being pretty just honest about what you want and um yeah i think that's that's my only main advice i hope it it's good though (laughs) well yeah just just grab life by the balls just like go for it head down and then iron the prize blinkered and yeah. I feel like especially in culture and you will get rejection and people will tell you you aren't good enough and I know that myself and from being an yeah. actor it's like you constantly being rejected but then you learn from that and you adapt and that's mm. that's what we do as creative people so I think I I'm, exactly. think you're inspiring also asking for help has been good like I think a lot of people find it scary to ask for help some of the best things I've done have been from I'll write something and then I'll maybe give it to a friend and they might be like, oh, what about this? You should read this book. And then that yeah. will completely rechange like my thoughts. There's, yeah. there's a sort of sense of uh, stubbornness that I think maybe a lot of people have. I think I probably have it too in that I asking for help is a sign of weakness. I think it's not. I think it's the opposite. Yeah, that's very good advice. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Great. Well, we ask every guest that comes on, as you know, as you've listened to Talk Heart, uh, yeah. to very special testing questions that reveal a lot about your personality. <laughs> the first one is, if you could do a, uh, an imaginary art heist, you could steal any artwork in the world for yourself, and it's completely fine, you won't go to prison, what would that be mm-hmm. and why? Um, I think I would choose uh, Caravaggio's Supper at Emmaus in the National Gallery. Um, one, I think it'd be incredibly <laughs> fun to break into the National Gallery. I'd have like a full <laughs> sort of Bond girl outfit, like trick the guards, Ooh, like hover it from yeah. the ceiling. Nice. I've imagined yes, yes. the whole heist now. I'm like, it's very good, it's very chic. Um, but it's also <laughs> one of the first paintings that <laughs> one of the first paintings that really made me fall in love with art and its possibilities. It's really cinematic. It's like a Scorsese. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite paintings. Caravaggio is also such a such a inspiration and i really enjoy his work um i think this it's very overdue another show of caravaggio so is it still is it permanently hung it. at the national gallery is it permanently uh, there? it is permanently hung yeah it changes place sometimes but it's always there what's happening in the scene there's all these figures and it's like it's got the chiaroscuro light and dark so that's what creates the cinematic sort of sense it's a biblical thing, scene, but it looks so contemporary. Yeah, that's the most fascinating. It's not the scene that's that's fascinating. It's the way it's been rendered. And it's just really dramatic. You know, there's the supper and how it's lit. And it's, I know, it's something that entrances me every time I see it. And I think a lot of people will go for other Caravaggio's more than this one. But yeah, it's just very, very poignant. and. I just, I just love it. <laughs> Great. Good thing about National Gallery is it's free. So anyone could just pop in the lunch break is. after listening to this or maybe listening while listening yeah. to Talk Art and go and stand in front of it while we're talking about they it. They can go so. and scope it out and work out how to help us do the art heist. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate tips. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, other, the other question we ask every guest is what is your favourite colour? Oh, uh, gosh, I was just saying but it's pink. <laughs> I resist it because I think it's just so obvious, but I just like light baby pink. Uh, I'm still a little girl. I still love, I just, yeah, it's very oh. feminine. It's good. But yeah, I'll be honest. You- I, was, I, should, I should have said something like inky jet black because it reminds <laughs> me of like my soul, but no, pink. <laughs> do, you, do you collect, Andrea? Do you collect? 
I do. I've started collecting. Um, I'm still very um, much in the beginnings, but um, yeah. my friend Oli Epp is a really good collector and he's been uh, encouraging me for a while. So I'm getting into it and I've got a lot of uh, emerging artists on my to-do list. So I'm going to make my way Who through. are your like top three emerging British artists we should be kind of on our radar right now? Emerging is a, a difficult word, but uh, Jade Fadijitimi, I adore. Do you know her work? No, tell me about that. Uh, she's a, a black artist, but she does she does abstraction. Um, but it's incredibly visceral, sort of like brushstrokes are just very, um, they're drawn across the canvas. Um, it's, it's just very evocative, really large-scale mm-hmm. canvases. Uh, she's with P.P. Holdsworth. Um, oh, yeah. Who else? Do I enjoy uh, emerging? We just interviewed Cassie Nomoda, who had a solo uh, first kind of big show at Pippi Holdsworth's Gallery. Oh, yeah, uh, she did. They have an incredible program. Yes. <laughs> I'm really into it. Um, yes. Other artists, I mean, I'm very biased, but Ollie Epp does incredible work. I've seen yeah, it grow. Uh-huh, yeah. I think it's got all these beautiful dark themes um, and yes. humour. Uh, and then well, they're kind of like com- post-internet-y, aren't artists? they? Post internet, yeah, kind of like airbrushy. Yeah, it's a style that I think, yeah. Yeah. It's a style I think style, works yeah. really well. But it's also rendered very beautifully. Like there's a lot of photorealism sort of patches on the canvas, yes. which I think doesn't translate over screen very well. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's two. And I two. think this is, I'm trying to think of a sculptor or something not painting related. Hmm. When do you think you're going to get your residency back up then? I mean, you can't really tell, can you? But have you got plans to do no it again idea. next year? Um, right. I would love to do it. I think it might make sense to just start again next year. I was going to think of maybe right. doing it at the end of this year, but maybe just start afresh in 2021 and see how that goes. Just saying the residency where you set up with Oli, yeah, you're just saying it gives these artists, three artists uh, per month, this residency space for free. There's access to accommodation. It's in Soho in the centre of London. And yeah. you, there's no application fee. It's free to enter, open to all. And um, you've had that funded for a year and then hopefully you're going to get it, you've got it funded for another year. So if anybody's looking for a residency in, or like a studio space and they haven't got any money, this is a really good uh, place to apply to, right? It is. I love, I mean, I love when artists um, DM me as well and ask about the residency and the tips. And it's very much a very non-informal like, un- residency. It's we hang out, we have pizza nights, we go uh, to clubs as well. It's a very social and wow. fun one because it's just me and uh, Ollie and we just really immerse them in London. So right. that's So it's it. like going okay. to Ibiza my for my last, art. My last art, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got my last artist. I love um, Rosie Hastings and Hannah Quinlan. Yes! Yes! We are Would massive, massive fans. Oh, they're so good. I saw they got nominated for the Jarman Prize. Jarman yes. Prize. Which yeah, is just great. Yes. I'm awesome. so thrilled. Yeah. So they currently great. have a show um, at the Focal Point Gallery in South End, which has obviously been closed down for the moment, but that's extended now. They were meant the show was meant to move around, but it's now still at Focal Point. So I'm going to be up there as soon as possible. And then they have a solo coming up later in the year in Europe and we love them. We absolutely like they've been mm. former guests at Talkar, and um, I'm a massive, yeah. massive champion of them. I think they're amazing. They've got great energy, and they're just lovely. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, and I, and I love the work. So I'd be very proud. Me too. 
to have one at some point. So those are my top three. I mean, I could go on forever, which is why I find it difficult to distill into three. But there's some great art happening at the moment. And I'm looking forward to going through all the online showcases too. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. There is one other thing I wanted to ask you about, which is Matt's Gallery, because I saw mm-hmm. that you were a patron there and you've been very supportive yeah. to Matt's Gallery. Can you speak a bit yeah. about Matt's? Because I think it's such a classic kind of institution in a way. I, I love Matt's Gallery. Yeah, I love Matt's Gallery too. And I feel that it needs more visibility, especially with maybe my demographic. I've spoken to a lot of my friends about Matt's and they didn't realise the the history. I mean, Robert Klasnick has been at the forefront of supporting contemporary and emerging artists since. I don't know, I guess like the 80s or a long time. Um, mm. And his, his taste is incredible. And it's such a supportive and warm network of artists. Um, they've just been renovating and changing space into Nine Elms. Uh, but I guess that's also on hold. But when it when it is open, it will be an incredible dedication to all the work that Robin has done. Um, Matt is not the name of the person he, that is Robin's dog, <laughs> which is a good thing to clarify. A lot of people are like, "Who's Legend. Matt?" It's like, yeah, no where's Matt? Matt? Can I meet Matt? Yeah, <laughs> there's no Matt. It's Robin. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a great place, and I've met the most incredible artists there, and really enjoyed sort of um, championing what they do and trying. I really just want to engage um, the next generation and the legacy of Matt. And I hope to continue to do so. It's brilliant. Awesome. Well, I think we, you're engaging the next generation yourself. And I feel <laughs> like we're going to be seeing so much more of you in the future. And I can't wait I really wait hope for we, us we to... actually get to hang out as well. I want to see yeah. you. And I saw yeah, that last year. I want to hang. <laughs> yeah. I saw that last year you went to my friend Raymond and Paul's house and got to hold a Franz West in your hand, one of the adaptive ones. I did. That was really cool. That. I was. You were like, it's the biggest perk myself. of my job. <laughs> I was there like if I break this <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to be invited to anyone's house but yeah no it was it, yeah that was great um yeah Amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to interacting with art and with um my art arty friends again so yeah, yeah. Awesome. Totally. all this totally. to look forward to Great. Well, thank you so well, much for coming on. For all images yeah. we talked about today, please so go much. to the at Talker on Instagram. And Andrea, you're on Instagram. What is your handle, please? It's Andrea London, but A-I-N-D-R-E-A, because my parents like to spell things interestingly. <laughs> and um, you can find out more about the Plop Residency as well at plop-residency.com. And mm-hmm. we will link to all the artists and works that we've discussed today at Talk Art. Thank you for listening and we love you. It's been Thanks so, so much. fun to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> bye. And we'll be back bye, soon. Everyone. Thanks. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com